Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We've been studying in the book of 2 Timothy, so if you have your Bible, you can pull out and go to 2 Timothy with me. Um, uh, Hallie, I love that you brought a word from 2 Timothy this morning, um, because that's actually exactly where we are. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is, is where we are. Uh, and this letter from Paul to a young pastor who is struggling with persecution and even difficulties from within his church family, uh, Paul just keeps encouraging him again and again in this letter, keep going, keep the fire burning bright, don't give up. And you know, a lot of times we hear encouragement like that in our lives, like, I'll just keep going. You kind of start to think, how do I do that? Well, today we're going to get a little bit practical about that. So I'm going to start by just reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Paul says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Let's pray together. We're going to open the word here. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that your body is bright and so full of joy. Lord, there are so many things that you're doing all over this earth that we get to hear little bits and pieces about all across our city even. Lord, we want to be part of it, and we want to burn bright for you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take away something practical from this morning, something that we can apply right now, right here, to our lives, for all of us in this place. Uh, Lord, we give you permission to do that, and we pray that you deposit it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one of the things about having Hallie with us this morning and ministering on university campuses is um, it scares me more and more and more to think how long ago college was for me. <laughs> I, I remember being a young kid and, and we would have a bunch of college kids in the church and I remember thinking, like, wow, they're so smart, they're so awesome, and looking up to them, I'm like, you know, I'm so far past the age where that was me even now. It's terrifying. But I remember this, over the course of my collegiate life, uh, I became more and more a, a sort of last-minute person when it came to term papers and assignments. Anybody a last-minute person when it comes to assignments and, like, obligations in your life? Yeah. Um, any of you guys were those people who, like, when you received an assignment in school or in college or whatever, like, that night you went home and did it? Where are you? You made the rest of us look bad. 
<laughs> you made the rest of us look bad. I remember one semester I had an international financial management class. It was very specialized. And in that one course, three times in that semester, I pulled an all-nighter to finish an assignment. I was a last-minute person. You know, college, for people who grew up in our world, it's oftentimes that first place where we taste new levels of freedom and we come face-to-face with an element of our human nature that we must tame. Namely, our human ability to put things off for as long as possible until they absolutely must be done. And that was me at college, too. We learn to put things off until we don't have a choice but to do them. Especially when it's a particularly difficult assignment, something that's unpleasant, an obligation that we don't really, we're not excited about. We can tend to put that off for as long as possible. We will busy ourselves with all kind of other tasks. We'll clean the whole house before we do that thing that we know we need to do, right? That's something that's in human nature. And in this passage, Paul calls Timothy, and he says this. He says, being a follower of Jesus is going to involve some things that you're not going to necessarily always be excited about. Being a follower of Jesus, sometimes you're going to have to take on some of those unpleasant tasks, and we can't revert to what N.T. Wright refers to as avoidance tactics. We can't kind of just procrastinate on those things which are so important. We need to engage the call of God on our lives, even in the unpleasant things, with intention and with discipline. This passage that we just read this morning, if you've been with us for the course of this series, you'll realize this pretty much echoes exactly what Paul said at the end of the first chapter. But last week, as we looked at it, there's so many similarities, it's like Paul's repeating himself. Once again, he tells Timothy, suffer with me for Jesus. Once again, he reiterates, this is my gospel about Jesus, the Lord, and that's why I'm in chains. That's why I'm suffering. Once again, he promises Timothy that if we endure with Christ and we burn bright, despite the challenges of our world, it produces maturity in us and ultimately brings God's glory in our lives. He repeats himself in this passage from what we studied last week, but there's a little bit more to it this time. Paul adds a couple of things as he repeats this charge to Timothy. He sandwiches the whole thing in the grace and the faithfulness of Jesus, and he describes how Timothy is to keep going and burn bright using three very practical metaphors, three images. So how are we to stand strong for Jesus in the face of challenges in our culture, maybe challenges even in our own, our own lives or workplace or whatever? So let's look at these three metaphors that Paul gives Timothy here. First things first, he says, the Christian life is like the life of a soldier. My daughter has been absolutely obsessed lately with a song straight out of my childhood. I'm in the Lord's Army. Anybody remember this one? I may never march in the infantry, right? I just like to go shoot the artillery. Okay, I'm dating myself even now. Somehow my daughter found this thing on YouTube and she absolutely loves it. I blame Laura. But (laughs) Zoe is obsessed with this song all about how I'm in the Lord's Army. This idea of God's people as an army, it's, it's reiterated all throughout the New Testament. I think sometimes in our world, we tend to shy away from army language. I don't know, maybe, maybe we just don't want people to think we're some sort of like religious zealots or extremists in our day. People are kind of scared of that, right? But the image of a soldier on a mission, 
under the authority and the command of his superior. It's worth pondering over as we think about our life with the commanding officer of Jesus himself, right? Walter Leefield says that this letter between Paul and Timothy, it reads, it reads like a correspondence between two friends serving in a war. They're on alert for trouble, but they're reflecting mainly on how their own lives are going and how they're faring in the midst of conflict. Writing from one foxhole to another, Paul calls Timothy to soldier on. Laying aside his longings for a normal civilian life so that he can make an impact for Christ. N.T. Wright says this, A soldier mustn't get distracted or sidetracked. In the same way, a Christian called into cheerful confrontation with a world that resists the gospel mustn't look for easier activities on the side which would keep him or her busy but not embody the cutting edge and challenge of the gospel. I was talking about, we all have those avoidance tactics. Sometimes it's easier just to say, I'm not going to press ahead with this. I'm just going to do something easy. Paul says, keep your focus like a soldier serving the commanding officer. Don't settle for less than the life God has for you. Secondly, he likens the Christian life to an athlete running a race. This is one of Paul's favorite metaphors. If you've read Paul in the New Testament, you know he uses this idea of running a race often to describe the Christian life. And his point here is this. There are rules to this race. Right? He says, you know, if an athlete wants to receive the victor's crown, he competes according to the rules. There are rules in this race. What does that mean? It means you can't take shortcuts. You can't skip ahead. A couple of years ago, my family and I were on a, a vacation in the mountains in Colorado. And we wanted to get up to this beautiful mountain lake, but the, the road was closed to cars, so we had to rent e-bikes. Anybody ever ridden an e-bike before? That's basically magic, is basically what it is. They have this thing called pedal assist. You pedal, but it does all the work. So it's like you're just kind of doing the pedaling for show, and you accelerate. It's incredible. If you haven't tried an e-bike, I encourage it. It's amazing. But, but as we went up this like nine-mile road on our e-bikes, we started to pass the real athletes who were on their beautiful road bikes. And, and they were soldiering on against the 5 to 7% grade, trying to make it all the way up to this beautiful thing. And I got to be honest, I just felt deeply ashamed. I've never felt so sure. I have a road bike, so I, like, I typically am not e-biking. But in that moment, I, like, I couldn't look at myself in the face. So I'm like, this guy is like, you know, ripped and, and sweating and struggling with all his might. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> On your left? Huh? <laughs> you know, it's, it's terrible. It's so embarrassing for me. It was just wrong is what it was. We like our shortcuts, don't we? We like the e-bike life. We can pretend like we're doing the hard work, right? When the road gets steep with us, it's a lot easier to go back for pedal assist. Paul's telling Timothy in this moment, he says, don't look for all the shortcuts and the loopholes. The world is going to offer you shortcuts and loopholes. Say, I know you're trying to serve Jesus, but you know, you can just try this for a while. It's easier. Don't settle for those shortcuts and loopholes. Reality is this, when you follow Jesus, you're going to hit some uphill climbs. There's going to be some moments where it's not always the easiest thing in the world. But whatever you do when you hit those moments, keep going 
in the way Jesus has marked out for us. Keep posturing your heart saying, I want to do this your way, Lord. There are going to be other options. There are going to be shortcuts, like taking a taxi cab to the end of the marathon and sprinting the last 100 yards pretending that you broke a sweat. We're going to have those options, but Paul says, just because it's hard, doesn't mean you get to start looking for everything easier. I look across the century and I know some of the hardships of following Jesus in this place. I know some of the battles that have gone on for years. I just encourage you like Paul, keep going, keep pressing on. As human beings, we're wired for the path of least resistance, right? We're wired for, you know, the easy way out. But Paul says to Timothy, there is a true crown waiting for those who run this race with Jesus, and they do it his way. Finally, he says to Timothy, the Christian life is like a farmer who gets the first share of the harvest. We've covered this many times, but agriculture and growing things isn't really my forte. And Cheryl Hopkins, wherever you are, you can attest to that. But this image of a farmer who sows his seeds in faith And he works with diligence and trusts that the the way the Lord created things is going to come to pass with patience. This image goes a little bit deeper, actually, than is on the surface. You see, at the harvest time in Jesus' day, that crop that was brought in, it wasn't just for that farmer. Often it was shared with other members of the community, others who had a stake in that farm. Probably also a landlord whose land it was deserved a portion of that. But it was well-accepted practice that the one who did the hard work, the one who was responsible for tending that field, deserved the first share. Paul is reminding Timothy here that we have a promise in Jesus, that we will receive the reward of all of our labor for him, that he doesn't miss anything, that God himself notices Every moment of hard work, every moment where we have to be patient, every moment where this isn't easy for me, but I'm just going to keep doing it your way, God notices every single one of those moments that often go uncelebrated by others. Paul tells Timothy, think about these things. In verse 7, he says, think about what I'm saying to you. Think about your life as it relates to this farmer, this athlete, this soldier, and reflect on these things. So I want to take a moment and just reflect on these three images. What do these three metaphors say to us about our lives? But the heart, these three images are all about patience, endurance, and your favorite topic, discipline. Now, we don't like talking about discipline, do we? That's not our favorite topic. All throughout this letter, though, and all throughout the entire New Testament, we are called as Christians, to a disciplined life, a disciplined life. It seems like the Holy Spirit knew that in our our humanity, we're going to need encouragement in the area of discipline. So it's everywhere in the New Testament. As many of us have been on our discipleship journey, studying along in our follow-together rhythm, this is our current focus, the disciplines of a disciple. Because in reality, there is no discipleship without discipline. There is no discipleship without discipline in our lives. So Paul urges Timothy in this moment. He says, yeah, press on, burn bright, don't slow down, keep going for God, fan into flame that gift of God that he's deposited into you. And Timothy, what that requires of you is discipline. 
What it requires of you is discipline. But nobody likes discipline. No one likes discipline. We tend to run from it in our humanity. As human beings, we want to rebel against the idea of the disciplined life at every turn, and we live in a world that says, no, thank you. You don't need discipline. You need to pursue whatever your heart desires, and when the natural effects come along, here's a pill that will take care of that for you, right? That's the world that we live in. Discipline, no thanks. I want to indulge in what makes me feel good. It's still natural to you and me to take the path of least resistance. It's still natural for us to to cheat so that we can win the race. To get caught up in our distractions and civilian affairs when the times get tough. To let somebody else do the hard work and the patient work in the field and we just take our share of the crop. But I want us to look at why. Why is discipline so important to us? Why is it so valuable for us? What does discipline do for us? Why should we be disciplined? Hebrews 12 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline doesn't feel good in the moment. Making choices that no one else is making, it doesn't always you know, make you feel all happy inside. But in time, it produces a harvest of righteousness and God's peace. I know that if I had a show of hands right now, I said, how many of you guys want to experience more of God's peace? Every hand would be up. If I had a show of hands and said, how many of you guys want to engage the discipline of the Lord? You'd be like, yeah, sometimes. Hebrews says, it's not pleasant at the moment. It's about what it does for us in the long run. A disciplined life isn't all the rage in our world. And it won't win you any popularity contest to become a more disciplined person. But it is a doorway that we step through into God's best for our lives. Discipline takes us to where God wants to lead us. It's where we lay down our desires so that we can have what he desires for us. How many of you guys know that God has strong desires for you? Strong desires for your life. C.S. Lewis says that if you could actually get a picture of what God desires for your life right now, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. In fact, when God looks at our desires, Lewis says, he actually considers them not too strong, but too weak. Because he wants more for us. Jesus has hopes for your life. He has dreams for your life. And the Bible tells us that what he desires for us is so much greater than what we could ask or imagine. So much greater than what we often tend to settle for. There's a reason that books on discipline don't sell as well as books that say six steps to your best life. Right? But the reality is this, your best life is found in Jesus. Your best life is found in Jesus. And the road to that life with him is paved by discipline and endurance. Not quick fixes, not temporary highs. Question is simply this, to Timothy and to us, are we ready for that daily exchange? Because we have a lot of desires in us. Are we ready to daily swap our idea of the good life for his idea of the good life? As I was studying this passage Um, The Lord brought back to mind, I remember, this isn't the only letter in the Bible to reach Ephesus. Some of you know that Paul wrote other letters. He wrote another letter to Timothy before this, 1 Timothy. He wrote the letter to the Ephesian church. But did you know that Jesus also wrote them a letter, the church in Ephesus? In Revelation chapter 2, 
Ephesus is one of the seven churches to whom Jesus sent a a direct message through the Apostle John, calling the same group of believers, of whom Timothy was the pastor, to rekindle their love for him. To rekindle their love for him. Jesus writes them a letter, and he starts by commending them. He says, you know, you've been persevering, you've been working hard. I can appreciate that. You guys are doing so well. He says, you know, you've sought what is true and you want to hold to what is true and you've, you've renounced all false teaching. You've kicked the false teachers out of your church. Good job. Well done you. He says, but this I have against you. In the midst of all that, you've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love. You've allowed that, that passionate, reckless abandon with which you followed me and chased me down to cool off. You see, Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he says to them in his letter is simply this. I've always been right here, but you've walked away from our love. You've walked away from our love. Throughout the whole Bible, the Lord is described for us as a faithful husband to a wife. A faithful husband is how he describes how he is with his people. Even when they are unfaithful to him, he is forever faithful. Like Paul wraps up this passage and says, even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. He's always faithful. What an image of God. What a vision of God. Desperately loving us, chasing us down with every fiber of who he is, even when we're not doing the same. Now, that's not always how people think about God, is it? When they think about him... Maybe they think he's just angry at them. Maybe they just feel disappointment, whatever it may be. But this is how God describes himself in the word. His heart is for you. He desires you and has desires for you. Even when you and I falter and we're faithless because we're fallen human beings, he is forever faithful and won't stop seeking us out. That's how he describes himself. He's the God who says to us, I've loved you. With an everlasting love, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's God's heart. That's his character. So how do we keep our love for him burning bright? Maybe the question is, how do we recover that first love? How do we get it back, that desire for him? Jesus goes on in his letter and he says this. He says, you've abandoned your first love, so repent and do the things you did at first. Do the things that you used to do with me. Do the practices that led you deeper into my heart. What's Jesus saying to them? He's saying, go back to the practices. Go back to the disciplines. Go back to the step-by-step path that I showed you to walk. Let me ask you today. Do you remember that moment when you first understood how perfectly loved by God you are? How perfect his love for you is. You know, with all the ways we've failed, do you remember that moment where for the very first time you had a revelation of the fact that however screwed up I am, his love is bigger. His love goes further. His love never fails. Do you remember that moment? Before everything became systematized, before it became routine to you, when there was mystery and wonder and delight in the simple fact that he chose you and he loves you. Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember that first love? What were the things that you did in that season? What were the things that you 
seem so normal to you. Because he loves me, there's nothing I won't do for him. Maybe that's the way I should ask the question. What wouldn't you have done for Jesus during that time? What were you holding back? Was there anything you wouldn't do for him? If there was a rally across town, you were there. If there was a chance to go deeper with other believers, you would make time and space because you knew, i got to get closer to Jesus' heart. You devoured the Bible. You prayed like the mountains were going to move. What were the things you did when that love was burning so hot? Knowing Jesus has always involved some choices for us, some routines in our lives that aren't normal in our world. Those things that Jesus calls us to, those things that he modeled for us when he walked this earth and connected to his Father. We need to go back to the things we did at first so we can recover the love we had at first. Here's the reality today as we talk about those practices of following Jesus, disciplines of being a believer. We don't embrace habits and practices that no one else is doing unless we want to go somewhere no one else is going. Say it again. We don't embrace habits and practices that no one else is doing until we want to go to that place that no one else is going. Laura and I just started talking about uh, taking a big vacation a couple years from now. When she turns 40, you know, in about 15 years. Um, and it, it got me thinking, first, I need to save a lot of money. <laughs> but it got me thinking about how we prep for vacations, about when we want to go and have that special time away. When people have a vacation that they're planning for, it's amazing how disciplined they get and how quickly it happens, right? Think about it. They find a million and one ways to save money because they want to have a good time. They want to be able to have everything. They find ways to cut out all the unnecessary expenses that have just become normal to them. When a vacation is ahead, particularly if it's a beach vacation, we start dieting like crazy, right? We diet, we reactivate that gym membership from 2021 that we've used once. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to the gym, right? Because we got to get our beach body. People get really disciplined when they have a vacation ahead. It's incredible. It's also how we're wired. When we get a vision for the future, even just for something that's temporary and we're looking forward to the delight of that thing, like a vacation, it's amazing how quickly we embrace new habits, new disciplines in our lives. How much more when we get a glimpse when we get a vision of the destination that Jesus has in mind for us, which isn't temporary or fleeting, but is eternal and blows away every imagination you could ever have, how much more when we see in our mind's eye that paradise in his presence that he's going to take us into for eternity. My prayer today is that God would give you and me a brand new, life-changing vision just what he's made possible for us and invites us into. Just what he dreams for for you and me. And that it would just overwhelm us to the point of longing in our hearts for what he has. And from that longing, we would allow it to shape us in discipline, in patience, and endurance. Until we hold nothing back from him. So we can grow closer to him every single day. Because when we get a vision of eternity... It's amazing what we won't give up for him. When we get a vision of what life walking with him, feeling his presence day by day, growing in him every day, looks like, it's amazing how we'll embrace things that used to look like the crazy people to us. Matthew 13, 44, and the NIV says this. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, The kingdom of heaven 
is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man stumbled on it, he hid that treasure again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. When we stumble upon the life that Jesus has for us, and it truly impacts us, we get captured by this vision of life with him. There's nothing we won't sell off and we'll do it with joy. There's nothing that we'll hold back. And it won't be an onerous process to us like, oh, I've got to get up earlier or whatever. It's a delight to us because he's our delight. Jesus longs to give us something so much greater than anything we could imagine or desire, but we need to treasure it enough to give up things for it, to give up normal for it, to not shrink back to the civilian affairs when we're called into this battle, to not take the shortcuts when there's a crown of life and victory ahead of us. Because Jesus never called us to ordinary, did he? He called us to extraordinary. And it's time for us to embrace the extraordinary way of walking that he's shown us as well. He says that we can tap into the life of heaven, not someday, but right now. So what won't we do for him? What wouldn't we give up for him? I pray that he give us that vision more and more. And I know that for every single one of us in the room, the Holy Spirit has probably already been talking to us about an area of discipline in our lives. Because he does that. You know, when you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he begins to put his finger on things in your life. If there's things that are taking you away from his presence, he's not happy about that. He wants us in his presence. Or if there's things that could draw us near that we maybe neglected, he's going to teach us that. So I want to say to us today as we begin to wrap up here, what discipline or practice is the Lord speaking to you about in your life? Maybe calling you to embrace Or maybe what matters of the civilian life, the easier normal life, as he said, you know what, you need to lay those things down so that you can come chase after me again. Maybe he's been speaking to you about going deeper in his word, about making time every single day to make sure that the word is getting into your heart, really studying it. Or maybe maybe he's nudging your heart to grow in the place of prayer. You know, with all the busyness in our schedules, prayer is not something that easily fits into that, is it? We need to make time and space for prayer. It takes discipline on our part. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about that. Remember when your prayer life was so much deeper. Can we recover that again? Maybe the Holy Spirit's been whispering to your heart about a habit or even just a hobby that's taking up all your time in your life. Something that you find yourself returning to over and over again, and it's taking a few minutes here, a few minutes there, and before you know it, it's got hours of your week. Maybe the Lord's calling you to lay that down to make space for him. If you're on the journey with Jesus, I can promise you this one thing. As you hear his voice more and more, he'll speak to you about practical things in your life. Practical matters, like your habits, your interests, your hobbies, and your disciplines. That's going to become, if you follow him more and more, that will become a more regular thing you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. So don't hold back from that. Press into it. Like Paul said to Timothy, keep going in this. Don't slow down whatever discipline God is calling you to, whether it's giving something up or engaging with something he's shown us. Engage and use that as a doorway into his presence more and more. There are so many amazing tools available to us nowadays. 
in the Word and throughout church history, you'll find various kind of lists of spiritual disciplines that followers of Jesus have embraced for 2,000 years. Different practices. There are books like Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, a classic in the Christian community, or John Orford's The Life You've Always Wanted, where he's basically saying, if you want the life you've always wanted with Jesus, here are some things that are the way to get there. They will practically equip you in those things that Christians have always done that deepen our love for Christ and our devotion to Jesus. And there are online resources if you're not a book person. We've got some friends here who don't read. And if that's not you, that's okay. There are websites like John Mark Comer's Practicing the Way, where you can go on there and say, you know what, I, I want to be walked through this. I want somebody to kind of step by step navigate me through how to go deeper in the Word, how to go deeper in prayer, how to go deeper in study, how to go deeper in community. These things which matter so much. But I want to encourage you today to do something bold and crazy. Come to the Lord and just say, I am, I'm a soldier for you. Talk to me about one thing, Lord. One thing. Just one thing. Talk to me about one thing that you're asking me to grow in. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to teach me one thing, and I'm not going to hold anything back. I promise you, this is a dangerous prayer. But if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's an important one for us all to be praying. God, search me and know my heart. Isn't that what David prayed? Search me and know my heart. See if there's any way in me that offends you, but teach me the way that you would have me to walk. So just ask him for one thing this morning. And when he lays it on your heart, don't hold back. Step into it recognizing he's giving you a pathway deeper with him. He's giving you another chance to get back to that first love that burns bright and will overwhelm you with his goodness and his faithfulness. So give him permission and ask him for one thing. And don't forget along the way that it's not about our efforts. Right? We, we want to give our very best effort in all things that Jesus asks us to do. But it's not about earning his love. Okay, That part's already taken care of. Jesus paid the price for us to have eternity with him, life with him, and that can start now, today. He's already paid that. We could never earn what was a free gift of his grace, okay? Instead, we give our all, we, we pursue this with passion and diligence and discipline so that we can tap into that life he's given us more and more and more. It's about letting him shape us and draw us closer when we fully le learn to lean on him. See, Paul, in this instruction to Timothy, he wraps the whole thing in an understanding, not of our own understanding, but in who Jesus is. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, be strong in your best efforts and your own understanding. He says, lean on the way Jesus has taught us to do this. The grace of God that he's already opened this door for us. Be strong in his grace. Not in our own talents or abilities, but in the never-failing grace by which you and I have been rescued by Jesus. And he wraps it up and says this, even when we struggle, because we're human beings, even when we're faithless and we fall short, remember that Jesus is faithful. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I've got an area of discipline that Jesus has been talking to me about since 82. I'm still trying. But Jesus is faithful. He never stops coming back to us. He never stops opening that door again and saying, come on, keep walking with me. Keep pressing in. I know all the failures. I know all that. It doesn't matter. Keep coming. I want you. I got desires for you. 
Press in. Today's a new day. Come walk with me again. Aren't you thankful that Jesus never gives up on us? Aren't you thankful that he's faithful and true? And that he keeps providing way after way after way for us to trust him and go deeper and walk in his love. We're going to close our service in just a moment with worship. Would you stand with me for just a few moments? When we come across a passage of scripture that gets practical with us, how should we respond? What should we do with that? Kind of nod along and go, hey, let's go to brunch, right? When the word calls us to action, we need to sit with it. Like Paul says in verse 7, we need to actually reflect on these things. We need to let the Lord bring it to life in us. We need to give him permission to change us. We got a couple of songs of worship here, and, and this is by design. And frequently at our church, we like to do a little worship up front and more at the end so that we can have some time just to reflect, just to dwell and sit in his presence for a moment, to linger. So I want to encourage you today, it's not late yet. You can stay in his presence and you can reflect on these things as we worship. We're going to lift him up. We're going to focus on the faithfulness of God and his grace that he's so incredibly shown to each and every one of us. But if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, and putting his finger on something in your life. Let's not just worship with our lips, let's worship with our lives and our actions, amen? One of the sacred practices of the church for the last 2,000 years has been making space, not just to pray, but to pray with one another. And I wanna encourage you today, we need to embrace that again, because when we go to one another in prayer, we're stepping into one of the disciplines that Jesus showed us. We're opening space and creating holy moments where his presence can begin to change us. So I want to encourage you today, as we worship, I want to invite you, maybe pray in pairs. Pray with whoever you came with today. Maybe it's a family member or someone who brought you here. You can find myself or some of our prayer partners at the sides. If you want somebody to pray with, don't leave this space if the Holy Spirit's putting something on your heart. We need to be people who respond to the word. So whether you're used to it or not, I encourage you, find someone to pray with as we're worshiping. Especially if the Holy Spirit has been putting something on your heart. Share that. There's accountability in that, but there's growth in that as well. So don't hold back. Press in and pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that every, every ounce of love that we can show you is simply our response to the incredible love that you first showed us. Thank you, Lord, that in your word it says that while we were dead in our sins and we wanted nothing to do with you, you came for us. You loved us with a perfect love. You've drawn us with your everlasting kindness toward us, even when we wanted nothing to do with you, because you're forever faithful and true. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your heart for us. And then no matter how many times we've fallen short, your grace goes deeper still. So Lord, this morning, we posture our hearts. Lord, if we're here this morning and we've never, never actually chosen to respond to that love, Lord, I pray that you begin to stir something in hearts. If there's anyone here who's never chosen to follow Jesus, I pray that you would just help them to realize what a moment of surrender looks like. That you call them to respond as well and to share that with someone who can help them surrender to the love of Jesus. And Lord, for many of us, 
where our love grows hot and cold sometimes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to hear what you're saying this morning and to know how to rekindle that first love, that passionate, bright-burning love that we had for you at first. Lord, I pray that you would put something on every heart in this place, a habit, a discipline, a practice, saying to us, this is a way to come back to me and get deeper and deeper and deeper in my life. God, I pray that you give us supernatural awareness of what you're speaking to us, that your voice would just be so loud in our ears and in our hearts this morning, and that we wouldn't hold back, but we would boldly go after you. Lord, we know that we don't embrace habits, routines, and disciplines that no one else is doing unless we want to go to a place no one else is going. Well, Lord, we want to go to that relational place with you, where we are so overwhelmed by your goodness, where we feel your presence every moment, Lord. Teach us the path to walk. Help us to rediscover the tried and true way. It's not the wide way that leads to destruction, but the narrow way that leads to life. I pray that you help us to discover it. And when we do, Lord, I pray we'd hold nothing back. When we discover that treasure, that we would sell everything with joy so that we could buy that field and gain you, Lord. pray you put it on our hearts. And as we worship, Lord, we simply want to say thank you from the depths of our beings, for your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace in our lives. We lift you up in this place. We honor you. We pray that you be magnified and that you would speak deeply into each of our hearts now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him and let's pray with one another. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.